Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. What you didn't know, I should have told you beforehand, this is put out by the International Mission Board. They send them to us and we get to pick ones we want to show, but about 90% of that video was filmed in the city we go to in South Asia. So you talk about lostness, the IMB goes there to film their videos, that's where we're going. We're going in January, we're going again in February. We started a partnership, we're going to continue to go. So um, you be in prayer for what the Lord's doing there. Incredible lostness. Less, we talked to the missionary this week, less than one in a thousand people know anything about Jesus uh, in a city of millions. And so you be in prayer for what the Lord's doing there, what we're going to continue to do. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to get started. Father, thank you for the opportunity again to come together as a body of Christ, Lord, to study your word, to... Sing praises to your name. I just pray right now for our time together for the next little while as we open the truth of your word. Lord, I pray we would, in this moment, myself included, Lord, let's just be still and know that you're God. That you are the creator of all things. You are the author of our salvation. And as is the case, every, every time we open your word, Lord, there's truth here. And I pray we'd be able to see it. I pray we'd be able to see it and understand it. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak through that truth. Lord, you would challenge us and convict us to do more in our lives for you. And I pray, Father, you'd receive honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning by reading a passage of Scripture from Isaiah. You don't have to turn there with me. But I'd like you to listen to Isaiah chapter 9 because it's such a beautiful picture of Christmas and the Christmas story. Just for your information, in case you don't already know this, Isaiah was written about 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali, but in the future, listen to this, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. You, that sound familiar, right? The life of Christ. By the way of the sea along the Jordan. Of course, he was, he was, of course, baptized in the Jordan River. Verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Of those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Just remember all we talked about last week, the light of the world. John chapter 1. The light is going to dawn. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For is in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be the fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That's a picture of the incarnation of Jesus Christ 700 years before he was born. God becomes man. He steps down out of heaven and dwells among us. Heaven meets earth to declare peace and salvation to all 
who believe. It's the greatest story ever told. And we're going to continue to think about that this morning and continue our study in John chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I'm now going to invite you to open or flip over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we started last week this process of walking through the prologue of the book of John over the Christmas season. Last week we covered the first five verses, and you may remember in those verses we saw some pretty big ideas. We saw the picture of the truth of Christ given to all the world. We saw the picture of the glory of the Lord. We saw that the birth of Jesus wasn't the beginning of the story. It was kind of the picture of the story from eternity past. You may remember that we said that from the beginning, from the very beginning, the Lord had a plan to redeem his people back to himself. And so it wasn't as if one morning the Lord woke up and decided to send Christ to earth. That had been the plan since the beginning. God's plan is to give us life and light and salvation to all who would believe. And so this morning, we're going to continue our study of the prologue of the Gospel of John by looking at John chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of a natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, we're going to stop there this morning and delve into some truth. There's some things I want you to understand about this passage of Scripture. And again, the point of, just, just, to, just to remind you, the point of what we do every Sunday morning, and, and my very specific calling is to take the Word of God and to pull truth out to understand it. We need to understand the truth of this Word. What's the truth the Lord wants us to see and apply to our lives? And here's truth number one. You need to understand this because a lot of people don't believe it. Truth number one, God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. You say, there's, there's no mention in here of, of ordinary people. Let me just kind of help you understand where we're going with this. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, a kind of a big picture of who the Lord is. Eternity past and God's plan for the world and the idea of the light of the world. Those are grand, big ideas. But when we get to verse 6, John does something very interesting here. He kind of changes his tone. He goes from the big picture, the, the beauty of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, eternity past, the Trinity, the light of the world. And then there's this stark contrast in verse 6. There came a man who was sent from God, his name was John. I love that. From the glory of eternity past to a very simple, plain, ordinary man sent from God. You see, God wants to use ordinary people like you and ordinary people like me to do extraordinary things for him. 
Now, John was an amazing man. He, he accomplished some pretty incredible things. He was, if you know the story of John the Baptist, and by the way, just to make sure we're clear, the writer of the Gospel of John is different than John the Baptist. There are different Johns here, okay? But John the Baptist was in the wilderness. He was preaching and he was teaching and he was baptizing. He was calling people to repentance. He was very simply making straight the path for the Lord. He was preparing the way for Christ. So he had done some pretty amazing things, but he was just a man. In fact, verse 8 reminds us of that. He himself was not the lighting. In case you were confused, John says, in case you didn't quite understand, he wasn't the light. He came only as a witness to the light. John was an ordinary man with an extraordinary calling. Now, I love what happens here in this passage of Scripture because the Lord gives us kind of this clear idea about what happened in the life of John. Look again at verse 6. If you would pull that back up for me, please, Wanda. There's this simple, ordinary, plain guy, right? There came a man, no big deal, who was, what's that next word? Sent from God. See that? It wasn't if, if the Lord kind of looked down one day and saw John the Baptist wandering around the wilderness. And you remember, he wore camel's hair. You remember the story of John the Baptist? He ate locusts, like grasshoppers. He was a different guy. He was kind of eccentric. He was a little bit different than the rest of the world. It's not as if the Lord looked down and said, there's kind of an interesting guy down there, right? He's, he's gaining a little attention. You know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll just let him do something for me, right? It's not as if the Lord just looked down one day and decided God had a plan from eternity past to send John to do extraordinary things for the Lord. Now, I've been real fascinated with this idea for, for several weeks. I think I've bored Amy to tears talking to her about it over dinner and other times. If you're married to a preacher, you have to hear things about the Bible all the time, I guess, right? And I've just kind of had this passion to study more about this word sent. This has been very interesting to me because if you, if you kind of study, like almost every major example in the Old Testament, there's some example in there where the Lord says, I'm going to send you. There's just real clear pictures. So just a, a couple of examples. When the Lord's talking to Moses about accomplishing all he wants to say, verse 10 of Exodus chapter 3, the Lord says to Moses, So now go, I am sending you. There's that word again. In essence, what the Lord's saying is, I've got a specific plan for you. I'm going to send you to accomplish it. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, Samuel is called to anoint King David. You may remember the story, the new king of Israel. Saul, the current king, had been doing a pretty poor job. And so the Lord said to Samuel and 1 Samuel 16, 1. How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. Here it is. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Maybe the greatest example of being sent is Christ himself. John chapter 13, verse 20. Jesus speaking about his father in heaven, says this, Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send, and there's the idea of Christ sending, accepts me. And whoever accepts me, Jesus says, accepts the one who sent me. Christ himself was sent. You see, we, we see this picture kind of over and over and over again that the Lord is a sending God. I don't know that there's any scripture that ever says when the Lord says to his people, you just sit where you are and stay here and don't do anything, I'll handle it all. I don't think he ever says that to us. And says he says something like this, I've got a real clear plan for you, ordinary man. 
I want you to do extraordinary things, and so I'm going to send you to do them. Now, some of you are thinking, ah, yee. I mean, Moses and Samuel and David and Jesus, and these are pretty big deals, Adam. These were people that were sent to accomplish great things, but these were pretty amazing people. I mean, the Lord did some pretty amazing things. Yeah, but these were pretty extraordinary people. You can't convince me that the Lord's going to call me because I am ordinary. You can't convince me that the Lord's going to send me to do anything. Let me draw your attention to Isaiah chapter 6. I love what the Lord says here. Speaking to the prophet Isaiah, listen to these words. Then I, this is Isaiah speaking, heard the voice of the Lord saying, here's what the Lord says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? The Lord says, who am I going to send? Who am I going to send? Who will go for us? You know how the Lord picks the person he's going to send? Because Isaiah says, here I am, send me. It's a beautiful picture of the willingness of the Lord, isn't it? Lord, you want to send somebody. You need to accomplish great things. Lord, I'm pretty ordinary, but you know what? Here I am, send me. See, the Lord doesn't need us to be extraordinary. The Lord just needs us to be obedient. He needs you to be willing. He needs you to say, I don't know if you can do anything through me, Lord. I don't feel very good about my abilities, but I trust you enough that you're going to send me. And when you send me, even though I'm pretty ordinary, I believe, Lord, because of who you are, you can do extraordinary things through me. One of the neat things that's happening in our church right now is we've had, we're having all these sort of missional things taking place. And so we get groups of people that are kind of saying, you know, I see a, a need over here. I see a ministry need. And so what's happening is they're beginning to kind of form little teams. And they're forming little groups and they're going and doing mission activities. And you know what the coolest part about all of it is? I'm not finding out about a lot of it until it's over. Praise God for that. That's how it ought to be, by the way. It shouldn't be me saying, okay, you three get in a group and here's your assignment. And you three. It ought to be the Holy Spirit leading you to do ministry and we equip you and free you to go do it. And when it's said and done, you come back and tell me and I can rejoice with you. That's a picture of what Christ calls us to do. And the the cool thing is that's happening more and more at our church. And so I found out this last week, I didn't have any idea this was happening until it was already kind of in the works. We had a group of people at our church that had this calling to, to feed the homeless here in LaGrange. Now you may or may not know this, but there's a group of homeless people in LaGrange. And there's certain areas in town under certain bridges and certain locations. If you want to talk to homeless people, you go to those areas and you can talk to them. And so we had a group of people that kind of had this desire to feed the homeless. We want to go minister to these people and witness to them and give them some food. And so the day before Thanksgiving, I didn't even know what was going to happen. I showed up over here the day before Thanksgiving to do a little work. And there's a group of people in the kitchen. They're in the fellowship hall and they're preparing meals for these people. And I said, what are y'all doing, right? Well, we're getting ready to feed the homeless. I was like, praise the Lord, that's amazing. Tell me. So they started telling me the story. I said, when you're done, I want to hear about it. So Pam Murphy, who's one of the ladies that was involved, came into my office this week, and she started telling me the story. She said, we went to this certain location. We went to this bridge here in town. And we took all this food. By the way, I think the day before, didn't you go give some blankets to them? Yeah, Jason, our youth minister, went with some other guys, and I think you dropped some blankets down off the bridge to him, didn't you? Literally just gave him some blankets. Yeah. So we go back to the same bridge, right? This group of people went and, and started sharing with them and taking the food and had just an amazing time feeding them and talking to them. And when they finished, they had more food than they needed. They had extra plates. And they said, okay, we got some extra food. What do you think we ought to do? They talked to them a minute about it and decided they were going to go to the Emmaus house. 
Now, the Emmaus House is a women's shelter here in town. You may be familiar with it. Some of you have probably been to work there. We've done some work there during Mission LaGrange, and we've had other mission projects there. And we've got a a relationship with those precious ladies, and so our our team showed up with some food. And when we walked into the house there, when they they walked into the house to, to speak to these ladies, they began to talk to them. And one of the ladies said, you know, we had a group of people here in town. This is the day before Thanksgiving. We had a group of people here in town that had promised us a meal today, but at the very last minute, they backed out. And the lady said to our team, I wrote it down, I don't think I'll ever forget it. This lady's precious lady in the Emmaus shelter said to our team, I have always been forgotten, and I've been forgotten again. Do you know what our ladies did? Our team, there was not just ladies. They said, you know what? We hadn't forgotten you, and neither is Christ. And we want to love you in his name. Here's some food. And so they gave them this food. They ate this food together. They said when they finished eating, they had one plate left over. You said, that's that's an amazing story. How cool is that? How the Lord orchestrated that. You know, the Lord orchestrated that for one simple reason. This group was willing. They were willing to go. That was it. They didn't think they were going to the Emmaus house. They thought they were going to feed the homeless. And they did. They didn't know somebody backed out on these precious women. They didn't know there was a need. They simply said to the Lord, Lord, we're willing to go, okay? We're just willing. You, you lead us, and we'll trust you to go. And when they followed the Lord through their ministry, he did extraordinary things. See, the people of Rosemont were simply willing. The Lord took care of the rest. See, he doesn't need people that are extraordinary He doesn't need people that think they can do all these things. He doesn't need the smartest or the bravest. He needs the willing. He needs you to say, Lord, I'm not really sure what you can do, but I trust you enough. I want to go. So what's the Lord calling you to do? What extraordinary thing does he want to accomplish through your life? How much faith is going to be required of you To allow him to work in your hearts and to do great things for the kingdom. God takes ordinary people and accomplishes extraordinary things. Now let's continue to look, verse 9. Speaking again of this ordinary man, John, that was sent from the Lord, verse 9 says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now, here's something you need to be prepared for. You say, okay, I'm I'm willing. I'm willing, Lord. I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm willing to go. I want you to use me, do extraordinary things. You may decide to be willing and go and be used and be obedient, and you may witness and love and share and help people in the name of Jesus. But here's the second truth you need to understand. The world doesn't always recognize the light. And you need to prepare yourself for that. Man, sometimes I get this mindset when I go on mission trips that we're going to walk into these villages or into these towns and a revival is going to break out and it's going to be on CNN. (laughs) That's my prayer and it will always be my prayer. But the Lord doesn't always work like that, does he? See, we, we see in this passage of Scripture that this true light had dawned Not only had the light dawned, it had given light to everyone in the world. Not only was he in the world, not only had the world been made through him, but the world didn't recognize him. 
You've got the, the creator of the universe who steps down out of heaven, takes on the form of a man, lives a perfect life, the light of the world offering the hope to all who would believe. And the Bible tells us very clearly that the world didn't recognize him. You say, how could the world not recognize Christ? Well, I want you to do something for a few minutes. If you have your Bibles in John, hold your place. I want you to flip flip over to Romans chapter 1. We have it on the screen if you can't flip over to it. I want to show you something. Paul gives us this real clear picture of not being able to see Christ. He gives us this real clear picture of not recognizing the light. Now, Romans is theologically maybe the the, the greatest book in all the Scripture. I mean, Paul just covers so many incredible things. But he begins in the book of Romans by talking about the sinfulness of man. And that's some things sometimes we don't want to hear about. Sometimes we don't want to talk about it, but it's in the Scripture And we need to be aware of it, especially in the world that we live in today in our society. So I want you to listen to the words of Paul in Romans chapter 1. Being mindful of our study in John that not everybody's going to see the light. Okay, Not everybody's going to recognize the Savior. Not everybody's going to recognize the glory of the Lord. Romans chapter 1 beginning in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungod excuse me, against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now verse 19. Now watch this. This is really important. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. Now bear in mind, God makes it clear. God's made it plain. Now verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. There it is again. We're beginning to see this pattern. Being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now hold it right there just for a second. Paul says the Lord has made himself clear to us. The glory of the Lord is evident. You can see his power and his majesty at work everywhere so that men are without excuse. Now, verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. See that? Verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Here's what Paul says. Let's just kind of sum this up. Paul says the glory of the Lord is evident. He's been plain. It's clear. We've seen it since the creation of the world. But even though people knew God in verse 21, they didn't glorify him. They didn't give thanks to him. And when they begin to ignore him, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul says it's it's real clear. (laughs) People don't see the glory of the Lord because over time they've turned away from him. They're not not thankful for him. They're not glorifying him. They're not considering him. They're, They're not thinking about him on a regular basis. And so because they've kind of set the Lord aside, their hearts begin to turn away from him. And the more their hearts turn away from him, verse 23, they exchange the glory of the Lord 
for images made to look like mortal human beings, right? They, they take the beauty of the Lord, they take the glory of the Lord and all of his majesty and all of his grace and all of his wonder and they set it aside and they say, you know, we'd rather serve other things rather than the Lord. Man, I just feel like that's our society today, don't you? I, I feel like at times that's me. I bet every person in this congregation would say with honesty at some point this last week, they set the things of the Lord aside in favor of the things of the world. Paul says we need to be very careful here. Because as we do that more and more often, our hearts become darkened. And we become like fools. And we begin to miss the light of Christ. You understand that? We begin to miss the truth of his glory. The problem isn't with the Lord. (laughs) The problem is with us. I remember when I was a kid, my grandmother moved into our house. Probably the last 10 years of her life. And the first few years she was there, things were pretty good. But you can imagine as she got older, things began to kind of deteriorate. And she had trouble walking and She couldn't hear very well. She couldn't see very well. And I remember she would tell me, I can't really see anything. I see shapes and light and dark, but I can't really make anything out. Her her sight had become darkened, right? We know those kinds of stories. But I'll never forget when I I wanted to communicate with my grandmother, you know, it's humorous looking back on it. It was kind of sad. But we'd have to kind of yell at each other. You ever screamed at your grandmother from two feet away? You're not mad at her. You just want her to hear you. Meemaw! We called her Meemaw, you know. So we're hollering, hey, Meemaw! You know, and... So I'd have to, I can remember, I'd have to get right down in her ear, literally up to her ear and talk to her. And when I wanted her to see me, I had to get just right up on top. I had to get really, really close to where she was so she could see me and so she could hear me. See, I think so many of us have, have set the things of the Lord aside for so long. Our, our sight has become darkened. We need to get back really close to the Lord to see his glory, don't we? We need to just kind of zoom back in, don't we? Lord, I've I've seen all these things, and because of this, I'm not really recognizing the light anymore. I'm not recognizing the glory. And, and, you know, if I'm honest with myself, this passage in Romans tells me that that my my heart is becoming more and more darkened. And my sight is becoming a little more blurry. And all of a sudden, the things of the Lord that I, I thought were clear are not as clear as they used to be. You know the big problem? You've stepped away from Christ. That's it. He hadn't moved. His glory is not diminished. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He will always be the glory of the universe. But the more we set things in front of him, the harder it is for us to see his light. Now apply that to your marriage. Apply that to your job. Apply that to your social life. Apply that to your thinking, your thoughts. Apply that to your actions and to, to your attitudes. On and on the list goes. As we allow ourselves to drift from the things of the Lord, our hearts become darkened. And all of a sudden we can't see the glory of the Lord. You say, that's bad, man. The, the Lord came and he created the world and he, he came to the world, but the world didn't recognize him. Well, I want to kind of... Make you understand something here in, in John chapter 1. It, it goes kind of from bad to worse here. Not only did the world not recognize him, but now look again at verse 11. 
John chapter 1, verse 11. Though he was in the world, let's go back to verse 10. Though he was in the world, and though the world through the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Now, verse 11, it gets even worse. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. You see that? Not only was he rejected by the world, he was rejected by his own people, the Jewish people, the people that for centuries had looked for the Messiah. The very people that grew up wondering and waiting and hoping in anticipation of the Messiah neglected to see the light of Christ. I'm reminded of Isaiah 53, again, one of the clearest passages in the Old Testament relating to the prophecy of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 3, speaking of Jesus, written 700 years before his birth. He was despised and rejected by mankind, right? We, we know that. He's going to be despised. He's going to be forgotten. Bring that main point back up if you would, please. People are not going to see the light. They're not going to understand the light. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by men and afflicted, right? He's going to be negated. He's going to be ignored. He's going to be hated, the world's not going to see him. His own people are going to reject him. But then in verse 5, this beautiful picture, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought, his, brought us peace was upon him. Even in the midst of his rejection, even in the midst of great suffering, he loved us enough to give his life on the cross for our sins. We need to prepare ourselves because not everybody's going to see that. Not everybody's going to understand that light. Now down to verse 12. We need to finish this up this morning. Verse 12. Again, another shift, right? We've gone from verses 1 through 5, big picture, grand picture, the glory of the Lord. Verse 6, a simple, ordinary man used to do extraordinary things. Now the last couple of verses, he's been rejected. He's been hated. He's been turned aside. He's been ignored. Now verse 12, yet... To all who did receive him. The, the Bible's full of a remnant, right? There's always been a remnant. A small group of people who followed Christ faithfully. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Here's truth number three. Even though the world's going to reject Christ, through him, we have the right to become children of God. Even in our sinfulness, even in our hatred, even in all the mistakes that we make, through Christ, we have been given the right to become children of God. Now, I love what John says here in verse 12. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Now, that's very consistent with other things that we read, right? We read over and over scripture that we have to believe in Christ. John three sixteen, very simply, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever, what's the word, believes in him, right? Will not perish but have eternal life. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's that idea of believing again. Now, some of you are sitting here this morning, and I have this conversation sometimes with people when I think about their faith and I think about Christ with them, and you may say something like this. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I'm right there. 
Maybe this is you this morning. I believe in Jesus. I believe you lived. Yep, check that off the box. (laughs) I believe he was crucified. Yep, I believe that. I believe he was a great leader, a great man. You may even say, I believe he was the son of God, but I want to warn you, I want to be very clear. In this context, and really all through the New Testament, belief in Christ is more than just knowledge, okay? It's not just an understanding of who he was. It's obedience to what he taught. That's what real belief is. One scholar explained it like this. Belief means the faith by which a man embraces Jesus. A conviction full of joyful trust that Jesus is the Messiah, the divinely appointed author of eternal salvation and the kingdom of God. Thus, the word believe in the New Testament always carries with it the idea of obedience, not just mental affirmation. It's not enough to just know about Jesus. You need to know Jesus. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. You need to give him your heart and your life and live according to the truth of his word. And when you do that, the Bible says, he gives you the right to become children of God. You may not be able to see this from where you are. This is, this is a passport. This is my passport. And in this passport is my picture. And in this passport are various stamps and, and visas. There's some countries that require other things to get into. And so when you go to get a passport, you basically go get your picture taken. You fill out all the paperwork, right? You make an appointment and you can go to the post office and sit down with those people and kind of walk through this interview and answer these questions. You pay your money and they cater all your paperwork together. They send it off. And if everything is like it's supposed to be in several weeks, they send you back this passport. Now, this passport is simply just, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's paper. It's paper with some pictures and some ink. But it represents something very important. See, because I've kind of gone through this process to receive this, I now have the right to travel outside the country, don't I? And more importantly than that, and maybe the bigger picture, I've got the right when I'm done to come home. Right? You're shaking your head. Some of you have been. No. Don't lose this. (laughs) Christ says, when you believe in me, when you trust in me, when you give me your life, I give you the right to come home. Now, yeah, you're going to live on this earth and you're going to struggle through, and then there are going to be some difficulties, and there are going to be some moments probably where you wonder. But if you'll keep your eyes focused on me, Christ says, if you'll believe in me, then I'll give you the right to become a child of God. You know, Christmas is just a beautiful season. I love this time of year. It's time to enjoy family. It's, it's a time to... Enjoy time off of work. It's a time to put up nice decorations and give presents and all the things that go along with this time of year. But more importantly, as followers of Jesus Christ, it's a period of time we set aside every year to reflect on the things of Jesus. So here's the question we ought to be asking ourselves. What are we doing for Christ this Christmas season? Are we seeking him? Are we following him? 
Are we giving him our lives? Are we allowing him to take ordinary people and accomplish extraordinary things? God wants to use you to do incredible things in this world. All he needs is your willingness to serve. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the truth of your word, for the clarity of your word, Father, for the understanding of who you are, for this beautiful picture you've given us in John chapter 1 of of who Christ is, of his power, of his glory, of his majesty, Lord. And we just praise your name for all you've done. We praise your name for all you've shown us. I pray, Father, we'd step out of our comfort zones. I pray, Father, we'd recognize that ordinary people can do extraordinary things, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. I pray, Lord, that we would share our faith, realizing that not everybody's going to understand the light, but doing our best to love people even through that, Father. And then I pray we'd be part of the process of somebody that maybe for the first time ever recognizes the truth of the gospel and gives their life to Christ. And we watch them, Father, receive that right to become children of God. I pray you'd bless us today. I pray you'd bless us this holiday season. And I pray, Father, we would do extraordinary things for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the chance to come down for a couple of minutes and pray at the altar. Maybe you need to pray about what the Lord's calling you to do. Maybe for the first time ever, as you think through Romans 1, you've been convicted of your sinfulness. You need to repent of your sins. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.